And then if you would join me, we're going to read from Genesis this morning. We'll be in the 41st chapter, and we'll be reading verses 41 to 57. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonath paneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, as his wife. See what I mean? Right there. And Joseph went forth over all the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Would you just pray with me before Steve comes up? Father, we are humbled to be before you this morning, and as we look at your word and as we study Joseph's life and know the turmoil that he went through, the imprisonment that he went through, uh, the slandering that he went through, Father, and yet he stood firm and I'm sure had his moments, but stayed firm with you, Father, and trusted in you so that he could impact lives around him. We thank you for that message this morning that is borne out so clearly in your scripture. Father, we thank you for Steve this morning. We just pray that you would give him your special anointing as he comes up. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for his servant spirit. We thank you for just sustaining him, and we just pray that you would give him words to speak this morning as he comes. Father, we pray that you would help us to shut out everything that could distract us today, anything that is going on in our lives that could be happening this afternoon, or worries or jobs that we need to get done this week. Father, just help us to slow everything down and take this moment to pay attention to what you're saying to us. Just speak to us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for taking on those names for me. 
<clears throat> a blessing. You know, I was just thinking about Mary, and I didn't tell this to the first service, but, um, um, you know, when I first got diagnosed with cancer, Mary came to me and said, um, you know, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer as well uh, 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks, Mary. <laughs> but uh, since this place is open, Mary has essentially worked here. Uh, honestly, it's amazing. She kindly, just a couple weeks ago, or a couple um, years ago, she turned over her job. She used to always go buy supplies for us at Sam's Club, and she would come here and we'd unload, right? Remember those years? And so she decided a couple years ago she needed to turn that over to a younger person, <laughs> which is all of us. So, uh, <laughs> thanks, Mary. Uh, she's a precious lady. You know, uh, as we come today, we're, the title of this message is, Are You Content With Your Name? And God has just been really kind of working on me a lot regarding uh, my name. And so I'll ask you for a favor, to join me in a favor as we, as we leave. Uh, and, uh, but I want you just to kind of think about it uh, as we go through that process. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at this series, kind of engaging the culture. And really, uh, how do we engage the culture? And of course, the culture is just a way of life of a group of people. And, and so the question gets to be is like, so how do we engage people in their way of life? Okay, not try and make them see life our way, but how do we engage them in their way of life? And how do we, how do we really jump in there and allow God to work through us to uh, engage those around us? Of course, there's a culture of our nation, the United States, uh, you know, proud to be American kind of culture. There's a culture of South Dakota and our rural state with tourism and agriculture and, and many other things that go on here. There's a culture in our city. Uh, you have a culture in your school and in your workplace. You have a culture in your family that's just yours. It's uniquely yours. Uh, and so how do you engage uh, people in their culture? And, you know, in my opinion, you know, we kind of live in a post-Christian culture, but really at best we may be a pre-Christian culture. Uh, if you think about it, who knows what God's going to do uh, as far as leading people to faith in himself. But the Christian church certainly is not the thought leader of this culture. Um, the Christian influence is almost everywhere. And uh, it's a great thing to research uh, how many things that we see are good in our land really come from the root of Scripture and come from the, the Christian influence. Uh, but it's more on the edges of culture and often uh, kind of in the margins that we don't notice instead of as the centerpiece. And so how do we, how do we engage our culture? And I think typically uh, it's pretty easy for us to kind of step back and just criticize. Just be critical. Uh, just kind of say, you know, I don't like this, or they should change this, or this is terrible, or that's terrible, and we can be kind of frustrating uh, as we are critical, and, and I know that it's pretty easy for us to do, to just start criticizing people or programs or lifestyles, and, and so uh, there's a challenge for us to, to, to really step back and engage the culture for Christ's sake. And it's, it's a challenge at times because I'm kind of a realist. I'm not really optimistic or pessimistic for the most part. I'm kind of a realist. And so I just uh, tend to see things that way. But, um, you know, we have this opportunity today in our world to really engage the culture. And I'm, I'm just excited to see what God's doing. And so I'm going to ask you to join me, and I'll, and I'll explain it to you later. But I'm going to ask you to join me on a fast, Okay. And I know, first of all, you're all thinking, oh, man, I got lunch planned. 
this stinks, right? I don't want to go on a fast. Uh, particularly just because you asked me, that stinks that I got to do a fast, okay? So I get all that. Um, you know, it's go grab a donut quick. But no, not really, okay? But, but I, wanted, I want to ask you to join me in a fast by feasting, okay? By feasting. And I'll, and I'll explain that as we go through that. But just think about that. Uh, really a fast by feasting and, and really the fast I would ask you to join me on just for this day is to take a fast from being critical uh, it's what God's just kind of pounded on me to take a fast from one day of being critical and and uh, as we land this thing we'll see how I think we can do that by feasting okay by feasting not by making some negative I got to do this but by feasting okay so that's, that's the challenge to think about as we go through this. And just realize, as we're looking at this life of Joseph, how God used him in incredible ways. Uh, even as Doug shared, you just think about the whole earth came to Egypt, right? God brought this whole earth to Egypt. You talk about engaging a culture, right? Joseph was amazing how God used him to impact the world around him. It's this incredible, powerful nation. And God changed the whole society, and he used Joseph. And, and Joseph did it without criticizing his culture. Uh, he did it by focusing on God. And, and I know in my heart, I believe God has called you here uh, in 2016, right now, right here as his church to engage your culture and, and to really allow this, this great God we have to impact the world through you. We have an incredible privilege right now. And so as we look at the life of Joseph and we consider really how God used him, let's move forward. This Joseph was about 4,000 years ago. But I think you'll see as we dig into this life that it's very prominent to the same things we're facing today. Uh, just kind of as a background, and we'll continue on this in, in a few weeks, but I just want to kind of set you up so you know where Joseph is and who he is as we uh, jump into to Genesis here. Um, you know, Joseph's father, of course, was Jacob. Uh, his name meant chiseler, deceiver. And, and Joseph's father, Jacob, had kind of spent a large portion of his life trying to get his life from the stuff of this world and to get his blessings from God on his own strength. He hit a wall. He wrestles with God. He admits his name. Uh, my picture is he would say, essentially, I I've sinned. And God gives him a new name. It's called Israel. Okay, so Joseph's father is Israel. Um, not the nation, but the guy, Israel. And so that's kind of Joseph's background. And really, Joseph uh, is, is part of that family where God named his father Israel. And God names his children. Okay, God names his children. And of course, uh, Jacob grew up in quite a family, as, or Joseph grew up in quite a family, as Jacob had a couple wives and their sisters, Leecha, Ra Rachel and Leah. And uh, he loves Leah. She ends up having six boys and a girl. Rachel's barren. Ultimately, they give their concubines to Jacob. He has a couple more boys with each of the concubines. Finally, Rachel has a son named Joseph. So his family has a couple wives, a couple concubines, four moms, 11 sons, and a daughter. And uh, peaceful, peaceful family, right? You can imagine that. And, and that's how he grew up. And my, my daughter, Elaine, was just talking to me this week. Is like, Dad, you're just always making fun of the daughters, you know? And it's true, because we have four daughters, and, and so I won't make fun of the daughters, because, you know, there's really no emotional tragedies uh, with daughters. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty smooth sail, and there's really nothing to make fun of, I, you know? And so, Lainey, for you, there's nothing to make fun of. 
But, uh, but so that's Joseph's family. You can imagine that with all those boys, what it was like there, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's competition and there's strife and there's deceit in his family and there's kind of this anger and this bitterness. And I mean, the guy just grows up in this crazy place. And, and yet uh, God uses him to change, to change uh, the world around him. And just know that, that God can use you regardless of your background. So God breaks into Joseph's life. He gives him this dream, which is really countercultural. His mom and his dad and his brothers are going to bow down to him. Basically, he's telling Joseph, you're going to be the leader. And you can imagine how that goes over when you're a little brother and you're telling your big brothers, you guys are going to bow down to me. Yeah, we'll show you, right? I mean, uh, that doesn't go over so well. And of course, his jealous, uh, jealousy kind of comes to the head with his brothers and they're bitter and ultimately they're frustrated with God because God's the one who gave him this dream. And and that's often what happens in our world when God gives us a purpose or a calling. People around us are impacted, and it can be very frustrating to them. It can be very painful to them, and they can uh, really, really persecute us without calling it that word because we just can't see what God's doing in lives. But God has named his children. So these brothers want to get rid of their brother Joseph, and so they didn't like that he was favored by the father. They didn't like that he had this big dream that they were going to bow down to him. Really, they couldn't accept God's plan for Joseph, and so basically they sold him as a slave. And ultimately, he ends up at Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He runs away, Joseph does, ends up in jail for doing the right thing. And, uh, and that's often what happens. And yet, through this whole process, the Lord is with Joseph. We're told in Scripture over and over, the Lord is with Joseph. And so Joseph grew closer to Almighty God. Um, he thought about God. His focus was on God. He considered what God was doing in his life. And, and I'm sure some of the things he liked, but most of the things he did not like. Okay? Most of the things he probably did not like. I think that's important for us to realize that in God's plans, it's not like all the things that God is doing in our lives that we have to like. Okay? And so God gives Joseph the interpretation of these dreams of two of his fellow prisoners. One's the guy who tastes the wine for the Pharaoh. Uh, the other one is the baker, and of course the, the cupbearer is going to restore it to his life. The baker is going to be killed, and that happens. And then uh, it takes two more years for the cupbearer, the, the guy who tastes the wine for Pharaoh, to remember Joseph as Pharaoh has this dream. And basically God is revealing to Pharaoh what he's going to do. He's going to have seven good years of prosperity, and then he's going to have seven years of famine. Okay? So that's kind of where we pick it up. And if you have your Bibles or your, your iPhones, Genesis chapter 41... Actually, I got to say Android because I do have an Android, but Genesis chapter 41. And right before where Doug started reading, you kind of get a picture of this day for Joseph. And it starts like every other day. But Pharaoh says to him, where can we find a man like this, like Joseph, in whom is this divine spirit? And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, well, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and so wise as you. You're going to be over my house. And according to your command, all my people are going to do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Father, we come to you today, and I just pray right now that you would just speak by your power. And get me out of the way and speak to each one of your people by your power and by your spirit. And Father, I pray that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted on high. And we just want to give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so just think about this guy's life, right? He goes, this favored son to a slave to, to Potiphar's house where he kind of raises up in the ranks to prison and all of a sudden now he's the prime minister really of Egypt. He's second in command. And this happens from the time he's 17 till he's 30 years old. Young man. Incredible life. He goes through these adversity trials 
And that's often what we focus on, the adversity trials. But he also then goes through prosperity trials. If we'll look at the life of Joseph, he lives about 80 years in prosperity, essentially the way we would see it. But we need to realize that as we think about these trials in our lives is that we're all going through adversity trials and we're all going through prosperity trials. And so often we, of course, want the prosperity trials, but the truth is um, most of us at the prosperity trials are much more challenging for us than the adversity trials. And so we're all going through those things just kind of like Joseph is. And yet through these trials, God is trying to get us just to stop and to put our focus on him. And so you might be a business owner or high up in your business or super successful in business and it's cruising along or you might be unemployed. God's just trying to get your attention to focus on him, right? You, you may be a musician that's incredibly talented and you can sing and you can play or you may be like me and you don't know a note, okay? Um, that's okay. You may be great at sports or terrible at sports, okay? But God knows and he's just trying to get us to focus on him, to look to him, to trust him. You may be financially independent and you don't need anyone else or buried in debt, God's just trying to get you to focus on him. You could be the most popular person you know. Everybody loves you. Or you have no friends. And yet through that time, we can still get to know God. We're all going through these trials. And so Joseph learned many years over this 13 years, really, of mostly adversity. Uh, it wasn't a waste of time. He learned the language. He learned the culture. He learned how to operate within the government. Remember, he was stuck in prison with two of the high government officials. He learned to be a servant. He learned stewardship, um, as Bill spoke of a couple weeks. It's all, all God's, right? He learned to manage other people's resources. That's what Joseph learned. He learned to be an administrator. He learned to be sexually pure, and he did it all without criticism. Without criticism. But, you know, first and foremost, I think Joseph really learned that God's God, that he is sovereign, that he's in control, and that God has named his children. Have you learned this in your trials? that God is in control, that God is good. He's trying to get your attention. Simone Vell says it this way, we don't have to search for God, just change, change the direction we're looking. We don't have to search for God, just change the direction we're looking. He is right here. He is right in the midst of your lives. Just look for him. Joseph learned really what Paul captured thousands of years later as he wrote to the church at Philippi and in Philippians chapter 4. He said, not that I ever am in need. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. He had to learn how to be content with whatever he had, right? But Paul said, I know the secret. Uh, I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret really of living in every situation, whether my stomach is full or empty, with plenty or little, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And ultimately, Joseph was looking forward to God sending a Savior. Paul's looking back to God sending a Savior. Today, as a Christian, as a believer, Christ is with us right now. We can trust him. We can rest in that. So that's really how I've been praying this week for each of you, is that um, we, would, we would learn here another <laughs> couple thousand years later after Paul, 4,000-ish years after Joseph, to be content in our circumstances, in our situations. And that uh, we, would, we would learn to feast on what God has done in our lives rather than find the need to criticize uh, all the things around us. And really to learn to be content with our names as God has named us, his children. 
See, I, I really do believe Joseph was content as a favored son. He, he learned to be content as a slave. He learned to be content as a prisoner. Now he's learning to be content as a leader. And uh, his focus is on God. That's what he learned. His focus was on God's goodness and his presence. And so God puts Joseph through these 13 years to train him because God loved him, okay? He had awesome plans for him, and he loves you, and he has awesome plans for you. So look what's next, okay? It, it's, as Doug shared here in Genesis chapter 41, uh, the first, four, verse 41, 41, and, and this is what's amazing. The very first thing I want us to realize is we can strive to make a name for ourselves, okay? But God has named his children. And it's really funny because, you know what? You look around, men and women in our world, we're striving to make a name for ourselves the same way that Pharaoh poured out on Joseph. You know what he did? He gave him the land of Egypt. He gave him the land of Egypt, okay? We don't read that Joseph asked for all this stuff, right? And yet this is really what people are striving for. So he gave him this real estate empire. Trying to make a name for yourself by having all this real estate, by having this American dream, our house paid off, more land, more land, more land. Is that how we make a name for ourselves? Not only that, but he gave him this signet ring, which meant to sink in. And they used to have a wax that they would, they would put a piece of wax on their, their papers. And then when you put the ring in there, it was like a seal of approval. So Joseph had kind of all the financial power of the land of Egypt at his disposal. Uh, is that how you're trying to make your name, being financially independent? He had the latest fashion, right? He was dressed the coolest. He could have whatever he wanted, all the designer stuff. He had the latest jewelry. He would have the latest technology, way cooler than anything we want. You know, the next great thing, he would have it. That's what he had. He ends up with the second chariot, okay? Essentially, what he ends up with is the coolest vehicles, the greatest toys, the coolest bikes, the coolest Harleys, whatever, the coolest boats, right? He has all this stuff, okay? He has all this stuff given to him. And not only that, one little thing that he has that most of us will never have is he has control over the army, okay? Uh, it's kind of a significant thing. Do whatever I want. That's the way it's going to work. I am in control. And he didn't ask for any of these things, and yet it's so funny that here we are 4,000 years later striving to get our names for all this stuff that God gave to him. And so just stop and just ask yourself, are you trying to make a name for yourself with the stuff of this world? Because God has named you as his children, and it's way more significant. See, there's something significant about a good name. We know that. The writer of Proverbs says a good name is, is more desired than great wealth, right? It's to be better to held in high esteem than to have silver or gold. It's, 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 there's something special about this good name that's incredible, this good reputation. And you can have a good name, and you can have all the stuff. Uh, there's nothing wrong with stuff. I'm not opposed to stuff. God's not opposed to stuff. He's the one who gave it all to him, right, and gave it to lots of his children. And you can still have your focus on God and have all this stuff, or you can have your focus on God and not have this stuff. And so I just kind of challenge you to stop for a minute, quit trying to make a name for yourself from the stuff of this world, okay? And then, kind of on a side note, just quit worrying about everybody else's stuff, too, okay? Um, you know, I, I just find that so often, and I think as Christians, we're so much more likely to kind of pray for those who are going through adversity rather than those who are going through prosperity trials. So here's a challenge. How about the next time you see someone that has all kinds of prosperity, you pray for them to be blessed, to, to, to focus on God and their prosperity rather than on themselves and their stuff. 
uh, it's, it's a challenge for us, but it's a peaceful, incredible thing to think that God is actually working in every one of their lives just like he's working in our lives individually. He provides both the prosperity and the adversity for his glory. And he uses people with wealth and power to engage the culture, and he uses people without the stuff to engage the culture. <clears throat> it's an opportunity we have wherever we are. See, you're not God. I'm not God. It's very freeing. You don't get to name yourself. Only God has the power to name himself. And God has the power to name you. And so you can strive for all this stuff, and you can think, you know, everybody thinks you're great because you have all this stuff. Everybody knows your name, but really in an instant, it's gone. The game's over. And it doesn't take an economic collapse. Our lives on this earth are just a snap. And all of a sudden, the stuff passes along to someone else. There's no eternal significance in the stuff of this world. And today's a good day to surrender it and to quit trying to make a name for yourself. And why? Is because God's already named you. I think it's really important for you to realize that because it'll change your life when you realize that. So Joseph's not trying to make a name for himself. He's focused on Almighty God. And, and then look what happens. Pharaoh gives him a name. Zaphonath Paniah. And you know, if you bust down the Hebrew and you kind of see what that ultimately means, it, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. God speaks and lives. Now just think about that. Here's this pagan king, and what he sees in Joseph is God speaks and lives. Wow. He recognized something in Joseph that was different than all those other people surrounding him. Right? Not only was he probably a wise man and a nice young guy, and he's probably charming, he's probably personable, but Joseph had kept his eyes on God during these adversity trials, and now during the prosperity trials, we'll see. You see, Joseph had this humble heart toward God, and people noticed. Is that what they notice in our lives? Our humble hearts toward God. And Joseph has one wife that's given to him by Pharaoh. Hasenath, one wife. And he didn't fall into the trap of many women. Now, just think about it. He could have had any woman he wanted, as many as he wanted, as often as he wanted. That was his place. And that was what surrounded him, even in his own family, right? We saw that, okay? He didn't do that. Instead, he accepted the one who was given to him. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. And, and I just want to encourage you as a young people getting married. I just met with a young couple this week, and I love meeting with young people who are getting married. To, you know, I think one of the most compelling witnesses that you're going to have in this world as a Christian is to stay married to your spouse. Stay married. It's amazing how God can get you through these hard times. And it's a stark difference from our world. And it happens as Christ lives through you. And, and now, I'm not criticizing you if you've already been married and divorced and remarried or through that. Uh, you know, I know there's all kinds of things that happen. There's all kinds of things that, that happen in our lives that we have to wrestle through. If you think it's too late for your situation, it's not, okay? It's not too late. It's not too late. Just turn to God, surrender to him, and trust him. He can use you right where you are for his glory, whatever your circumstance is. He's not surprised. He's not disappointed in you, Okay? He absolutely has these awesome plans for you. And another incredible plan that I think so often we minimize is it's awesome to be single. Okay? You get to pursue God. It's crazy. Just know that. God has named his children. 
So here, here Joseph, he's not striving to get this name from Potiphar, right? He's not trying to get this name from other people. He's content with who he is. Are you? Are you? Are you? <clears throat> Today is really a good day to just kind of stop and surrender. And we can tell that Joseph did by the way he named his kids. Uh, he, he found contentment in God's name for him. And God's name meant Jehovah has added. That's what Joseph means. Jehovah has added. And he found contentment in that. And we'll find that, as, as Doug read, Joseph was faithful in his job, right? He, he was faithful in, in taking care of the country during the prosperous years. He carried out his duties that were assigned to him by Pharaoh. And, and he was faithful where God had placed him. But uh, not only that, we can see that where his heart was, as we see how he's named his kid. His first son was named Manasseh. Genesis chapter 41, verse 51. Manasseh, he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And you know what that really, when you break it down, what it really means is to take the sting out. To take the sting out. You see, God didn't literally make him forget his brothers or his father. We'll see that. He didn't as they come to Egypt. Um, but God took the sting out of his past. It would have been very easy for Joseph to try and get even, right? Let's, I'm going to make these brothers pay. I'm going to make all these people pay. I'm going to make Potiphar's wife pay and Potiphar pay. And, and, and yet God removed the sting, and only God can do that. I'm telling you, you can accumulate all the stuff of this world as you try and make a name for yourself. It's not going to erase the sting or the pain from your past. As a matter of fact, there's many who are driven to make a name for themselves because of the sting of their past, Right? my dad told me I'm a failure, so that's why I'm a failure. Or my dad told me I'm a failure, that's why I work all the time to be a success. I'll show him, right? And it just is like this constant sting that drives us, but it never permanently satisfies it. We've all been hurt. We've all been damaged. Uh, we live in this sin-filled world. There's none of us who are exempt, and yet God can take away the sting of the pain, and he can allow you to live in peace and in freedom. And it comes through forgiveness. Christ paid the price. You're free. Just rest in that. Just rest in that. You can be free from those who hurt you. You know, the other thing that we can be free from is not only the sting of the bad memories, but the good old days. You know, I hear so many people living for the good old days. Back in the good old days. Back in the good old days. You know what? Today is going to be the good old days. Probably in a week, <laughs> really. Uh, next week you'll think, well, that last Sunday was way better than this Sunday, right? <laughs> You know, but just the truth is, right, we have today. We can live in our day, and that's what God can set us free from as we pursue him. He can take away the sting of the past. He can also take away trying to live for the good old days, uh, be free from that. And, and so God names his son, or Joseph names his son Manasseh, and then the second son he names Ephraim, and it means doubly fruitful. And, and, and see, I, I believe God kind of gave Joseph this, this grasp of something that we so often forget. Uh, God doesn't measure our fruitfulness on this planet in this little short lifetime here on earth based on how we make a name for ourselves by accumulating stuff. He doesn't measure it based on what other people think about us. Instead, it's how we bear fruit. And we're not producers of fruit. We're simply bearers. Uh, all of a sudden, as we bear fruit, as, as the Holy Spirit lives through us, it's amazing how we can have a life that's filled with love <sighs> and joy and peace 
and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those all are from God, the fruit of the Spirit. We get those things in our lives as we abide in Christ, as we rest in Him. He's the one who produces the fruit. God is the vine, right? We're the branches. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We can stay connected to Him, and it's amazing how He can use us. And obviously, Joseph was looking forward to God sending His Savior, but we know the Savior, Jesus Christ, and we can trust Him. Really, we're evaluated by our surrender to Almighty God and His living through us. God has named His children. And then, and then God uses Joseph to engage the culture in an incredible way. And, and that's really what we see how, just th think about that. You know, all, there's all this, this prosperity and Joseph is saving all these things. And then the famine hits and the people go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and Pharaoh, after seven years, still trusts Joseph. He says, hey, go talk to Joseph. He'll tell you what to do. And, and, and in verse 51, or 57, the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Do you get that? God brought all the people around there to Joseph. You talk about engaging the culture? He pursued God, and God brought all the people to him. And, and really, thousands of lives were changed. God is in control of your adversity. God is in control of your prosperity. He's there. And he has given you exactly what you need in your present circumstance to be content. So don't be defeated by the past failures, the memories, right? Or, or don't be consumed with the, the blessings of the world or the good old days. Instead, trust him. He's not this plus God God, okay? He is God. It's not like the objective is I want all this kind of stuff for the world. I want real estate. I want financial independence. I want a great family. I want a great job, right? I want to be great at music, right? Plus God. He's never a plus God. He is the ultimate almighty creator, and we are like the piece of sand. He's the ultimate God. And as we pursue him, he adds all this stuff that he sees will bring him glory in our lives. So as we, as we land this thing and we apply it, um, and we ask, how can we engage our culture? I, I really challenge you, instead of trying to make a name for yourself, just... Uh, or trying to accept what other people say about you, just realize this. God has named his children. So here's the favor. Okay, here's the challenge just for today. As we, as we take a fast from criticism, rather than just trying to suck it up and not be critical, here's what I want you to do. And this is just a, a favor I'd like to ask you to do for me. Um, would you realize just for today, feast on how God has named you. You might, might want to write this down, okay? But just, just receive this. This is what God has named you as Christians. He has named you chosen. No, I'm serious. I mean, the ultimate God chose you. He has named you beloved. He loves you as much as he loves his son. He has named you his child, his son, his daughter. He has named you his friend. You're a friend of God. You're a friend of the ultimate one. He has named you his masterpiece. We look at spending a lifetime trying to create our masterpiece, and guess what God's doing? Spending your lifetime creating his masterpiece, and it's you. 
He has named you an heir, joint heir with Christ. Everything there is is yours. He's named you holy and blameless. Not someday, now. Holy, blameless because of Christ. He has named you redeemed. Not someday you can earn God's favor, someday you can pay the price for what you've screwed up in your life. He has already paid it, and he's named you redeemed. He has named you blessed. He has named you his treasured possession. He has named you saint. Holy one, you're a saint as a Christian. The sinner saved by grace is kind of half the story, but this saint is the whole other story. You're in Christ and he's in you. Not someday, he is now. Finally, he's named you his. You are his. And I tell you what, Almighty God will use you to engage the culture for his sake, and your role is simply to rest in him, surrender to him. With all that in your name, there's really no reason to worry about anybody else, right? And so just for today, I ask you to feast on what the ultimate one, the almighty one, the creator, the great I am, feast on what he has named you. And just go and live. Know that he, what God thinks of you. Father, I pray for each person in here even now that you would let them know that they're chosen by you, that they're loved by you, that they're your children, that they're your friend, that they are your masterpiece. Let us get a glimpse of our riches as we're your heirs. Let us know that we're holy and blameless of Christ. Let us know that we're redeemed. Let us know that we're blessed. Let us know that we're your treasured possession. Let us know, God, that we are your saints. And I pray, Father, as we go forth, that we would just know that we are yours and that you would use us to impact our culture in incredible ways for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, as we close, we're going to show a short video of uh, Life Lab that's coming up this weekend. And, and so, um, you got it, Rick? Go for it. And then we'll close in prayer. Uh, Almighty God, I just pray that you would bless each person in here, that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ and what you have done for each and every one of us. What God Almighty thinks of each and every one of us. I pray that your blessing would just go forth on us as we leave this place to serve you and to worship you. And may this day we just feast on the fact that you think we're awesome. In Jesus' name, amen.